0: Now, in Arkansas, where we were, there were a few rolling hills and things like that, but we were right in the middle of what's known as Tornado Alley. In fact, I-30, the I-30 corridor, is infamous for the number of tornadoes that you get every year. Um, You guys remember the show Storm Chasers? They were within about an hour of our house at one point. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. um, There was actually a tornado that crossed over the highway about five miles from our house about an hour after we came through. There was one particular night where there was a massive storm, and there was rotation that was spotted over the church that was only about a mile from our house, and all these kinds of things. And in the middle of that, there was one thing we learned that was important about your house when you were in a tornado. There's basically two kinds of foundations that you have one is a concrete slab where your house just sits directly on the slab, the other is a block foundation where your house is up on blocks, either a modular house or just built on foundation. And the problem in a tornado is, if you're in a block foundation, the wind can get up underneath the house and actually pick the house up off the foundation. Well, guess what kind of house we were in? We were in a block foundation, so we ran ourselves down to the church, which I came to find out in hindsight, apparently cinder block's not the best place to go, but we went down to the church because at least it was on a slab foundation. And we knew that at least we had a better chance of surviving things if a tornado hit, in the church building than we would at our house, which wasn't on a good foundation. So while we were in Arkansas, we learned the importance of having a house that's built on a good foundation. As Jesus is wrapping up our study on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's going through all of these different expectations, all of these different attitudes, and all of these different actions that we as his followers, as kingdom citizens, are supposed to have and to emulate and to do, He's going to challenge us with that same reality to pay attention to the foundation that you're building your life on, okay? Dive in with me here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded against that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. Jesus challenged those who had been listening to him that day with this reality. Everyone's building on a foundation. Everyone is going to face storms. But only those who do what Jesus says will stand in the middle of the storms. All right? Now, we're going to look at that a little bit more closely, but let me remind you of what Jesus has said already here in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Again, if you haven't been with us for the study on the Sermon on the Mount, this is a super fast bird's eye view of some of the things that Jesus has been teaching us. In chapter five, starting in verses one through 12, we saw Jesus turning the system of the world upside down as he tells us that poverty is valuable and joy is found in godly sorrow. In 13 through 16, Jesus tells us that we are to influence the world around us to keep things from getting as bad as they can get, all the while allowing the light of Christ to shine in and through our lives. You jump down to verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5, and Jesus tells us that God's standard hasn't changed. What he's teaching is simply a fulfillment of what God has already said. Then, with that in mind, he takes the rest of chapter 5 to show us that the inward attitude of our heart that has to be transformed by God himself proves our outward actions to be fake, which points us back to the spiritual reality of our poverty. Excuse me. He tells us that anger and hatred are murder, lust is adultery, that we have no right to seek personal retribution when offended, and that ultimately God requires perfection. These are some of the things that Jesus has taught. He continues to hit us hard at our heart in chapter 6. Right off the bat, he tells us that outward demonstrations of religion and righteousness are worthless if our focus is to gain the approval of others, and it's not coming from a heart that's been transformed. In verses 2 through 4 of chapter 6, he tells us to give in secret. In 5 through 8, he teaches us to pray sincerely and without putting on a show. In verses 9 through 15, Jesus teaches us to pray to the great, powerful, yet intimately personal God of the universe. We're to seek for God to be exalted as we willingly obey what he wants us to do and to be. We seek for the things we need materially and physically and are filled with gratitude when God provides more than what we must have. In 16 through 18 of chapter 6, we we're reminded that fasting is not about impressing people about, but about responding to the enormity of the need that God's allowed us to face. We find in verses 19 through 24 that we can't focus on getting fame or fortune in this life and that we need to live fully surrendered to Christ. So it's essential to stop focusing on the things of today and start living so our conduct will be rewarded in heaven. Right on the heels of that, Jesus tells us not to worry about anything because the great God who loves you will take care of your every need. Instead of worrying about the stuff of this world, we're to turn with laser focus to Christ, seeking to live under his authority and rule and above everything else. Chapter 7 starts with an admonition to be careful not to put yourself in God's place and cast judgment on others, but at the same time to inspect the fruit of their lives. We're reminded then that as we're looking for wisdom, strength, and the ability to meet all these needs, we have to continually ask and seek and knock that our Heavenly Father will graciously give us what we need. With all that said, he expects us to give to others the same way. Then we're faced with a choice, realizing that we can't get into heaven by our own popularity or our own performance, but only through the blood of Christ as we turn through the narrow gate and the narrow way. Finally, we're confronted with the need to make sure that the people we follow aren't leading us away from God's kingdom, but are instead exalting Jesus above all. Did y'all catch all that? That's what we've been looking at for the last 37 messages and over 22 hours worth of teaching as we've gone through this. This is a ton of information, and it's enough to study for a lifetime. But here's the challenge. Jesus is presenting for you a choice today. You've heard it. You've listened. You've been presented with it. You can go back and watch it online. You can even download my notes. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you about any of these things. But what are you going to do with what you've heard and what you've been taught? Are you going to take it to heart and act like Jesus really is king? Or are you just going to move on and live life like you always have? Let's look a little deeper at the realities he expresses here. With that choice in mind, you need to understand, number one, everyone builds on a foundation. Every life is built upon some kind of foundation. When you look at the two people that Jesus points to in this parable, you find that there's an inescapable reality. You're building your life on top of something. There is something that is at the core of your reality. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about this when we started talking about false teachers and their worldview. Remember, we said everybody has a lens at which they look through life. And depending on who you're following, the teachings that they put out there can shift your lens of looking at life, and you can look at life wrongly. That's your foundation. That's your worldview. That's the way that you look at life. There's a huge danger that we all face. I think this is one of my biggest fears about us as Americans, is we have this amazing ability to compartmentalize, especially for us guys, if you've never heard the whole theory about uh, men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti, it's a great theory on how guys' brains work and how ladies' brains work. Uh, I'll tell it to you sometime because it's a lot of fun. The key in that is that men are more prone to compartmentalize. Think of an ego waffle, all right? You guys, you guys like ego waffles? It, you know, when I was a kid, you know what you do with the ego waffle? You sit there and you try to squirt a little bit of syrup in each and every single hole, right? You know, because everything has its own little box, I'm afraid that because following Jesus doesn't cost us a lot in our society right now, it's easy for us to put Jesus in our church box. I mean, you're here watching or, or you're here in person, so you take you know, an hour and some change to be able to spend with Jesus every Sunday, and you've done your church thing. And so you know, maybe you even came in and you felt bad about what you heard or, or you felt encouraged by it, but then you close that box off and it doesn't go with you to work because that's, that's church and this is work. Or, or that's you know that's church and this is family. This, that's church, but this is school or this is life. Jesus is saying if we're doing that, we're not building our foundation on him. We can't compartmentalize it. That leads us to say things like, I know that Jesus said back in chapter five that we're supposed to be honest. I really try to be, but, but let's face it, times are tough. I, you know, I've got to survive and, and in my industry, you can't really be, be forthcoming all the time because if you were honest all the time, you wouldn't get ahead. Well, you know, if Jesus only knew the situation I was in, I know what he said about adultery and lust and things like that. But, but I mean, if you knew how my wife acted, if you knew how my husband had treated me, if you, if you knew the situation I was in, there's no way he would expect me to turn the other cheek. I know that God says not to worry about tomorrow, but have you seen the news? Did you, did you see that article on Facebook? Did you watch Fox News last night? Have you seen what's going on? How am I not supposed to worry? See, we compartmentalize. We, we take what Jesus has said, and we say, I know, but, and we put it on the shelf. All of us are building on some kind of foundation. Now, Jesus does teach us that there is a place for religion. You know, some folks will say, well, I, you know, there's a place for religion in your life? Yeah, there is a place for religion, and that is at the very core of who you are. You see, you've got to understand your relationship with Christ is the core reality that will sustain you, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. It's more central than than who you married or what your job is or how much money you have or how much stuff you have or how much you enjoy taking a nap in the afternoon or whatever that case may be. Your relationship with Christ is the core reality of who you are if you're going to build your foundation on the rock. You're here this morning, you're listening to God's word, but my question is, are you building your life on what he says or are you setting it off to the side somewhere and trying to build life on your own? See, every person has a foundation, whether it's belief in Jesus' death in your place or the foundation that you build on how good you are, how smart you are, how much you think you can get ahead in life. Whatever it is, you're building on some kind of foundation. So what do your actions show? Your actions show that you're building your life on Christ or on something else. By the way, that's the option. It's Jesus and anything else. He stands in the category all to himself. So see, everybody's building on a foundation, but not only that, everybody faces storms. Everybody is going to face storms. Look at, me, look at verse 25 again. It talks about the wise man built his house on the rock. And then verse 25, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and it pounded that house. Then jump down to verse 27, talking about the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house. The exact same storm happened to both the wise man and the foolish man. The reality of life is every single human being alive is going to face storms. All of us will. Unfortunately, that's an effect of the fall. That's because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and when they sinned in the garden, it brought ruin to all of creation. So death and destruction are just a part of life now. This is a part of our existence until Jesus comes back and fully rules the world and rids the the world of the stain of sin. Until that takes place, we're all going to face storms. We're all going to have things that are difficult, things that we don't like. Now, Jesus is describing what would have been a fairly common occurrence in those days of rain and a flash flood. And we still get flash floods around here, but nothing like you get out in the desert. For us, we've got like dark sky and apps like that that can tell us down to the minute when it's supposed to start raining. But in those days, you just kind of had to keep your eye out and watch for the wind to pick up and look for the leaves to turn upside down. You know, I heard old timers tell me, that's when you know you've got a bad storm coming is when the leaves show their bellies, you know, when the leaves are flipping upside down. That was all they had to go off of. And in an instant, You could have this massive deluge where it hasn't rained in months. The ground is now hard. It can't absorb that much water. And all of a sudden, this massive flash flood will sweep through. Jesus said that's the kind of storm that every person experiences. Some things you might have a little bit of advance warning on, but there are days when you wake up and everything is fine. And before you go to bed, your whole world has been turned upside down. You get that phone call, you get that diagnosis. Whatever happens, everything gets flipped upside down in an instant. Here's the thing, guys. That's going to be true of all of us, whether we're following Jesus or not. I've heard it said before that you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. That's just kind of the nature of life. And I would dare say that as many of us look at 2020 as a dumpster fire of a year, you've been through that this year, right? It's been storm after storm after storm after storm. Only those whose lives are built on Christ will be able to stand. Jesus told us to expect that. That's why in Matthew chapter 16, or excuse me, John chapter 16, after he'd gone through and told his disciples all about what was getting ready to take place and and the role that the Holy Spirit would play in their life, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. You're guaranteed to have trouble. Just like a massive storm that causes a flash flood, it will often be sudden, unexpected, and severe. Now, beyond that, there's another storm that every human being will face that's much more severe than just the trials that we face in life. The overwhelming teaching of Scripture is that you and I will one day stand before God and have to give an account for our life. In that day, when all of our life is put up against God's standard of righteousness and judgment. That storm you can only withstand by placing your life and your faith and your trust in Jesus. It's the assumed reality of verses like in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, Just as it's appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. When you die, you stand before God in judgment. Now, you said, oh, you're one of those hellfire and brimstone kind of preachers. No, I, I want to preach what the Bible says. And the Bible says, when you die, you go into God's presence and stand before him in judgment. Every human being will stand before God. When we face that storm, the question is going to be, are you going to be like the false teachers we looked at last week? Or those who made a false profession of faith in Christ, who who had everybody fooled, who said, Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful things, and yet Jesus looked at them and said, depart from me, I never knew you. Is that gonna be you? Or in that day, are you gonna be able to stand before God and say, God, I've placed my life in Jesus's hands. I transferred my trust from what I could do to what Jesus has already done. And so I stand today, not because of what I could do or how good a life I built, but because my foundation is solely on Jesus and Jesus alone. You're gonna face storms in this life. You're gonna face storms in judgment. Every one of us is gonna face a storm. And that, that storm will test the foundation on which you built your life. So how do we stand? Only those who do what Jesus says will stand. Only those who do what Jesus says will stand. Now again, I kind of wish I could have wordsmithed that a little better, but I wanted it to be as direct as it is. Jesus makes it very clear that a lot of people are going to hear what he says. It's not about whether or not you came to church and listened to the pastor or even listened to the podcast during the week. He said, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's not even about whether you came to church and heard it. It's what you did with what Jesus said. Only those who do what Jesus says will stand. Both houses have foundations. Both face a storm, but only one makes it. The wise man built his house correctly by digging down deep until he finally found a rock big enough to hold the weight of his house. In fact, in the Middle East, they still have to do this. It's not uncommon for you to have to dig 30 feet to hit bedrock when you're building in the Middle East. The other man decided to take it at face value, just put up his house. When the weather was nice, it seemed to hold up fine. Everything looked solid. However, it fell, and as verse 27 said, it fell catastrophically. Did you catch that? It didn't just fall. It says it collapsed with a great crash. The the Greek says it fell with a great, mighty fall. It's not just that you crash and burn. It's that you go down in a ball of fire. Only those who do what Jesus says will stand. We have the same choice. We can either hear what Jesus says and we can push it aside, or we can dig deep and do the difficult work of trusting Jesus and obeying what he says. Now, keep in mind, Jesus isn't just like any other religious coach or life coach or, you know, any kind of religious teacher. Look at what it says in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. See, the scribes that were doing kind of what I'm doing were, I'm teaching you from God's word. Jesus, however, the Bible teaches us, is God's word. So as he was speaking, he was speaking with the authority of God himself. The the teachers in that day would be like, well, Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage, and Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage, and Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage. Rabbi so-and-so said this about this passage. Jesus stood up and said, you've heard that it was written, but I tell you. I'm not relying on somebody else. I'm not relying on someone else to interpret what I've said. I am flat out telling you, Jesus says, this is what God says. If God took the time to speak to us, I mean, think about it. This is the God of the universe, the God who calls the stars by name, the God we looked at in Isaiah 40, who measures the heavens with the span of his hand, right? Right? If that very same God has revealed himself, he's taken time to say, This is how you're supposed to honor me. This is what life looks like when you follow me. Then don't you think we need to listen to that and not just hear it, but actually listen? You guys know the difference, right? Have you ever been around kids or been around a husband? You guys, you ever been guilty of that thing where you're sitting there and you're on your phone? And you hear that your wife is talking. And then you look up and you realize she stopped talking because she's waiting for a response. And you didn't listen to what she said. And I know you guys are way better and more attentive husbands than I am. So I know none of you have ever had that experience. You ever had your kids where they, you know they heard you. They didn't listen. Jesus is saying, if you're building your house on the rock, Listen to what he says. Don't just hear it, but actually doing it. Now, we've been clear throughout this series that obedience to Jesus flows out of a heart that's been transformed. This is not like the Pharisees who just did what they thought they were supposed to do from the law because they thought that would make them justified. No, this is a heart that, like we said last week, recognizes that Jesus is the only one who actually earns his own way into heaven, and we can only get there by trusting in what Jesus has done. So then, as he's transformed our life, and now we live that out in the way that we say that we believe this, we actually live it out in the way that we act. I mean, do you understand that, that you can talk a big game, but what you do is what makes the difference? I, as a kid, I've never really been scared of heights. As I've gotten older, it's gotten a little bit trickier. Last night, I was on the roof for a while hanging Christmas lights. And there's one back corner of our roof that's a good ways up off the ground. We're, our house is built into a hill, so you're about a little over two stories up by the time you get to that back corner. At one point, my son was out on the back swinging. And he said, Dad, is it scary up there? Nah, son, it's not scary, not a bit. You know, as you're sitting there trying to like you know, ease your way down the corner to get that last line on. I remember we went somewhere this this summer and I had the opportunity to jump off of a dock into the lake, you know, and it's like 12 feet up. And I remember, I can do do that stuff all the time. Right? It took me about three false starts before I finally was just like, okay. It's easy to talk a big game, right? It's easy to sit there and say, oh yeah, I'm not scared of heights. Okay, cool. Then I can get you on the other side of my house. I didn't get all my lights up last night. So if you wanna do the other side today, I'll let you. It's easy for us to talk a big game and say, yes, I love Jesus. I was at church yesterday. I listened to all 22 hours of Pastor Sean yelling about the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the question. Did it make any difference in the way that you lived. I've been really glad to hear so many times from folks who have been gracious to share with me that God's using this message in their life. And I've heard lots of people who've given me positive feedback. They've said, you know, God really convicted me when you said this. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that God's using his word that way. But what changed? I mean, honestly, can you think of three things, just three things, that are different in your walk with Christ than it was in January. Can you point to one area in your spiritual walk where you're stronger, where you've grown, where you've changed, where you've repented of sin, where you're more generous, where you're more, can you point to, to one thing? If not, this is what Jesus' half-brother James would say about that. James chapter 1, verse 22, he said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself." If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, not just does it one time, or not just did it one time because he felt guilty, but perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. can you say, God, you've spoken to me through your word and I paid attention to what you said and I'm different now? If you've spent the better part of a day listening to teaching from God's word, studying what Jesus said, shouldn't something be different? Guys, I point the finger back at myself on this. I had to sit down and answer that same question myself. Am I different? Now, I understand that spiritual growth is not like, you know, putting on muscle where you can look in the mirror and you can see that I have larger biceps or I can put a tape around it. And I can see I've gotten bigger than I was last year. Spiritual growth is not that way. I understand, but, but truly, can you look back and see ways where maybe you're reacting different, where you're speaking different, where your priorities shifted? If not, then the question is, have you truly built your life on the foundation of trusting Jesus for eternal life? If you're really trusting Jesus, if you're really hearing his word, it has to play out in the way that you live. You can't just talk a big game. You have to do what he says. If you aren't growing, you need to examine your life. Yeah, but Sean, it's 2020. Look, we're in survival mode right now. You know, I don't see any caveats. There's no footnote here where Jesus says, unless there's a global pandemic, or unless the election is uncertain, or unless there's racial injustice. Guys, you want to talk about a messed up world? Study the first century at some point. Go back and see the political unrest. you know why Pilate killed Jesus? It's because if he hadn't killed Jesus and a mob broke out, Pilate was going to lose his head because Rome was going to come in and kill all of them. Okay? This this is a nation of political unrest. Go back and look at Israel's history and see the fact that this strip of land got fought over by everybody all the time because it was this major trade route from the north to the south and people constantly thought back and forth over top of them. They knew racial injustice. They knew unrest. They knew political difficulty. And by the way, yes, the global pandemic is an issue, but understand the reason that when you look at like life expectancy figures from the first century, the reason they look low is not because everybody died by their 40, it's because nobody survived birth. You either died as a baby, you died as a child, or you lived to be 70, right? That There was like no in between there. So the fact that we are only dealing with one major disease right now that could take your life, that's actually tremendous progress in world history. So there's no caveat here that Jesus says, well, you know, once the vaccines are out, once things settle out a little bit, then you can get serious about following me. No, he said, everybody's building a foundation. Everybody's facing storms. You need to follow. See, it changes the way that you and I look at things. He's the one who gives Christians the strength to stand through all of life's storms. I love this verse, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. It's one of Spider-Man's catchphrases, right? Spider-Man always gets back up more than Spider-Man, you and I, not because of our goodness, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus, who our life is founded on, we can fall seven times and get back up eight. Why? Because the strength in which we stand is not our own strength. It's not because we've got some kind of grit and determination. It's because Jesus, the God of the universe, died for our sins and rose from the dead, and his power lives in us. So we can raise back up. We can do what he says, and we can stand no matter the diagnosis, no matter the financial situation, no matter the family struggle. We can join with Paul in saying, we are afflicted in every way, like he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. That's what believers do when they stand on Christ. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make the storm less severe. If anything, sometimes it makes it worse. But in the middle of the storm, we plant our feet in the firm foundation of the God who loved us so much he would die in our place, and we stand. And having withstood all of that, we stand after all the storms of life are over and we face the final storm of God's judgment, we will stand. Not because of what we've done, but we stand in a faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that's then been demonstrated by the way we've built our life on that as our foundation. We'll stand because we surrender to the God who allowed his only son to be surrendered to death for us. We stand because that son didn't stay dead, but after three days, he rose from the dead. We stand because we've surrendered to him as our Lord and our King, and we stand because through his strength and for his glory, we've shown that faith by following his commands. So you, this morning, in light of 37 messages over three chapters, are faced with a choice. What are you gonna do with what you've heard? I'd encourage you this afternoon... Take some time. Read through these three chapters again. i do it with a notepad sitting next to you. Because it may be as you go through, you're reminded of when we looked at that passage before, God convicted you about this. Write it out. Go back and look at those things. Go back and take the action steps that God called you to act. Go back and make the difficult choices that God was calling you to to make. And in all of these things, honor him as the God who's at your foundation. Now, whether you were with us for 37 messages or whether you were with us for this first message this morning, you are faced with a choice because today you've heard that there's a God in heaven who loves you. There's a God in heaven who died in your place, who was raised from the dead so that you could have eternal life. What you have to do in response is surrender to building your life on his foundation instead of your life your way.